It's good to be God's people together. Amen? Amen. Would you um, grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 15? We'll be looking at the end. Also, if you're here with us in person and you didn't receive a communion pack, uh, Robert will help you out. If you need a communion pack, just raise your hand. He'll get you one of those. We'll be uh, receiving communion as we do each week. If you're joining us online, I know we got a lot of folks out sick. Why don't you grab some bread and maybe some juice and you can participate at the end of our time as well. Well, we're in the book of Acts, and Acts, as you recall, is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere. Now, when I say everyone, I mean everyone, which means it gets a little messy. When I say everywhere, I mean everywhere into new frontiers, new territories, new tables, where people who had never rubbed elbows before are all of a sudden sharing a meal, sharing a table, rubbing elbows, and it gets messy. Tonight, we're going to see a mess. We're going to see two snapshots that are still yet wrapped in the Holy Spirit's desire to make a messy community and also wrapped in the Spirit's ability to keep it moving in spite of obstinance and obstacles. How many of you have heard that word obstinance or obstinate lately? It's not a word we use every day. It sounded good at first because I'm a preacher and I like alliterations, but just for grins, I made sure and looked up the definition, and that word obstinance means resolute adherence to your own ideas or desires. The first snapshot is one of obstinance. Resolute adherence to your own desires or ideas, and the Spirit keeps it moving and works in spite of it. And then we're going to look at the very beginning snapshot, the second snapshot tonight, at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, and we're going to see an obstacle. And what's ironic about that obstacle at the beginning of Acts chapter 16 is that it's the obstacle we thought they sorted out and eliminated in that long chapter and two long weeks we've looked at Acts chapter 15. Because it's messy. Here's why we're the people that sing songs like we just did. He's the one that makes us new. We are the people that are made in God's image and made to be beautiful out of dust and mess. The Holy Spirit is not afraid of mess. The Holy Spirit's desire and ability to keep it moving, to keep us moving in spite of conflict and confusion, obstinance and obstacles. We're going to see these two snapshots here. The Holy Spirit hovering over every page, still drawing others to create a people for himself. So let's look. At the end of chapter 15, this is the first snapshot, some conflict, obstinance. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Pause if you're following along in the book of Acts. They're going back to where they were two chapters ago, making the circle again. Barnabas said, great. He wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. 
Uh, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. I'm not a language scholar, but it seems that that word sharp disagreement is a word where we get convulsion. (laughs) There's a convulsion. How many of you have had a relational convulsion in your life? So strong that they parted company. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed for the island of Cyprus. So they went a little bit west. But Paul chose Silas, and he left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He went up northwest along the coast. They parted company relationally. They parted company geographically. But the Holy Spirit seems to make something beautiful out of the mess because Paul and Silas are going to go above and beyond and keep on. And God's going to use Barnabas and Mark as well. The second snapshot is some confusion, some obstacles. Verse 1 of chapter 16 as we continue. So Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where they had already been before, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Ready? So he, what? Circumcised him. Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. If you've been around the neighborhood church the last two weeks, you said, didn't they already fix this and solve this? What was that whole chapter? Luke, who's writing this, and this is being read in living rooms all around the region 2,000 years ago, they're saying, wait, didn't we just hear that? Didn't they just have a whole council to say, you don't need to get circumcised? If you're a Greek, a Gentile, if you're from any other tribe that's not Jewish, you don't need to get circumcised to enter God's family. And Paul says, yes, yes, he was the biggest proponent of this. Yes, you don't need to get circumcised. Timothy, I want you to come with me, but let's go over here. I, I, I got to do something, and it's not going to be fun. <laughs> he circumcises him because they knew his father was a Greek. What's going on with this obstacle and this confusion? We keep looking here. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, which is, guess what? You don't have to be circumcised. Meanwhile, Timothy's over there with stitches going, okay, What's going on? We'll deal with that later. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is still moving and His desire and ability in spite of obstinance and obstacles is where we're looking this evening. It's been a while. It's been a few months, but the girls were fighting Sometimes my children fight. Did you know this? Would you believe this? Oh, now Emma all of a sudden pops up, and now she's really keen on what's about to happen. 
I've already talked to them about this, and I got their permission to share this story. They were having a disagreement. They were fighting. They were fighting about something that was a little silly, but to them in the moment, it's not silly. How many of you have been in a situation where I know this is silly, but I don't feel very silly? Well, they're fighting and they're arguing, well, mom and I were feeling pretty silly. So we had had about enough of this. They were struggling to work it out on their own. So we went into our room and I grabbed the biggest t-shirt that we could find in our dresser. And we walked back into the living room and we smushed both of them together and we put one t-shirt over two little girls. You remember that, girls? How did it feel? Okay. Nora from the back corner said, horrible. Emma smiled and said, weird. Well, they both started chuckling and laughing because now they had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to be, stuck in the same shirt. And we said, your sisters, work it out. Well, they were kind of laughing and giggling, trying to move around. And because part of their fight stemmed from their inability to clean their room, we carefully walked them upstairs and we said, clean your room. They started to take off the shirt and we said, no, no, you're going to learn to walk and work this out together. This, in some sense, is the messy picture of conflict we're having between two siblings. Paul and Barnabas were brothers in arms. They were partners. They were brothers in Christ. They were missionaries. They had been used by God to start churches, to encourage churches. Barnabas, that wasn't his birth name. He was given that name because he was the son of encouragement. He encouraged people. When we meet Barnabas, we see that he sells property and distributes it to the church community and the poor. We see Barnabas' actions routinely going above and beyond. That's sacrificial and it's loving. And Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement, says, this is a great idea. Let's go back from our home base, do the circuit around, and see how the churches are doing that we started and planted. And Paul says, great. And then Barnabas says, let's bring Mark. We think that Barnabas and John Mark were cousins. And Paul says, I don't care if he's your cousin. No way. Why did Paul not want to take Mark? We read it earlier. Because Mark had abandoned them. Mark had bailed on the mission. You can actually read about it in chapter 13, verse 13. John Mark, maybe he was a young person. He uh, had all the spirit, but the flesh was weak. So he started on the journey. He barely rounded first base before he pointed Back home. We don't know why, but we know it. Anyway, speaking of conflict and convulsions, so we, we don't know why that Mark left, but we do know that Paul probably had this sense that if you're going to be in, be all in. He didn't want this guy to come back and bail on them again. And what's fascinating and ironic is that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is the one who took Paul when he was rough around the edges, when he was new to the Jesus movement, and Barnabas vouched for Paul when Paul needed a second chance. So sometimes 
A conflict may seem silly on the page. Because today, these modern Christians can say, they're brothers in Christ, they're family, they should just work it out. But it didn't feel silly to them. Even though they had gone through so much, they still parted ways. Why? Because in some way they're both right. Isn't that the worst kind of conflict? You're stuck at an impasse and you say, I, 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 I get theoretically that they have a point, but I don't want to cave. This is what's happening. And what's remarkable is that this snapshot of conflict is still in our Bible because the Holy Spirit is still working through it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is still working through you and all of your conflict and all your confusion and all your convulsions and all of your mess. We have to understand that as messy and imperfect as we are, even in and amongst our family relationships at church, our relationships are still surrounded in the t-shirt of the Holy Spirit. And while we're busy building fences and parting company and going different directions, divine desire is still building bridges and asking us to march upstairs and clean the room because there's work to be done. And I tried to look and I tried to study and I tried to research and Barnabas never gets any speaking lines in the story of Acts. We see his actions of sacrificial love. Paul will mention Barnabas and Peter in Galatians chapter 2, but we're not quite sure of the timeline. I think the timeline was before this. We don't know if they made up and shook hands, but I'd like to think they eventually did. But even still, the movement continues because divine desire is still building bridges between us and our neighbors, us and our enemies, us and our families, even when there's conflict, even when there's convulsions and confusions, but whether or not we walk across those bridges is entirely up to us because love is risky and God has organized this universe to risk that we may not love him back. That we may not love our neighbor as ourself. He's risked the entire kingdom movement and kingdom enterprise on the fact that Jesus is still with us to the end of the age and the Holy Spirit is within us, forming us, drawing us, shaping us, but we can also turn our backs on God and neighbor. We know this experientially, but we can also see it here on the page. We're free to walk on these bridges or not. We are free to RSVP or respectfully decline. Write down Galatians 5.16. We're given freedom. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. To circumcise or not, we're free. Doesn't matter. But what he says in Galatians 5.16 is, I say to you, keep in step with the Spirit. And that's where we get the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All these things said differently of what Miguel read in Romans chapter 12. Write down Romans chapter 12, 9 to 18. Sit with it like Miguel did this week and say, 
Where am I seeing evidence of these kinds of things in my life? I say I follow Jesus. If I'm following Jesus, I should be able to see some evidence of this in Romans 12. If I'm keeping in step and walking with the Spirit of God, I should see some evidence, some fruit of this in Galatians 5. And the degree to which you don't is directly connected to the degree to which you're sitting and learning how to live like Jesus. The degree that you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in your life is the degree to which you surrender your own way, your own flesh, your own way of rejecting the goodness and love of God that translates to love of neighbor. If you're not seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it's not try harder. It's actually be with more. To allow the Spirit to do what divine desire wants to do. To build a bridge between you and love and being and relationship itself. To ground you in the physical structure of the universe that's bent toward justice and goodness and love and forgiveness. Because the world is filled with people who have disconnected and turned their backs on it. We are the people that should be connected to it. So much so that we live out of the overflow in our life. To keep in step with the Spirit means that you can be out of step with the Spirit. Write down Ephesians 4, 3. Paul writes this letter based directly on the experience he's having of Jew and Gentile meeting together on the table for the first time in generations. And he said, God is building a house here. He's building a house with bricks of Jews that are God's people. And the Gentiles are the people that God has longed for for generations. He's doing it. And then Ephesians 4.3, he says, So make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Maintain is a key word. Because we're already sharing the t-shirt. The Holy Spirit has already put the t-shirt over brother, sister, other. So it's something that doesn't need to be made. It needs to be maintained. Paul and Barnabas didn't maintain it. I haven't maintained it with some of my brothers and sisters. In premarital prep... Something that I love to do when preparing for marriages, we start our first sessions with couples with this, the love triangle. Not that kind of love triangle, this kind of love triangle. What do we have here? Imagine that the triangle are really pathways. You see the arrow pointed upward. You can take a marriage relationship, one and the other. You can take any interpersonal relationship, father, son, mother, daughter, brother, sister, friend. You could even take a relationship with an other, a different, an enemy. Take two people, put them on either side of the triangle. And if you're in Christ, you're following Jesus who's at the center. 
You're following his leading, taking your yoke upon yourself, taking your cross and following him. You're moving upward. The more you follow Jesus, the more you see that you're connected to God, the Father. And the good news is that in this process, it's completely surrounded. The t-shirt has drifted over you. It's completely surrounded and sustained by the Holy Spirit. And the reason we do this particularly in marriage counseling is we say, watch what happens when you take that theory, that thing you see on Christian Facebook and Twitter or TikTok, put God first in your marriage. What happens in practice is if you are really actively, attentively connecting with God, following Jesus in step with the Spirit, let's say you're moving closer. You're moving deeper in to love of God. Well, one of the things I love to say at the neighborhood church is that a step toward God always leads to a step toward neighbor. A step toward God is always going to lead to a step toward neighbor. God just loves to do this. Because the more connected you are to God who is love, the step you take toward God, you're going to look up and that love goes somewhere and, and he's calling you to reveal that to the world around you. So a step toward God becomes a step toward neighbor. Now, follow my illustration. When husband and wife or brother and sister move further up the triangle, what happens to the space between the two on either side? They're closer. And now you go, aw. And that's what the couple does every time. The idea that the closer we draw to God, the closer we draw to one another. And it's surrounded and sustained by the Spirit. And sometimes the apostles themselves get it wrong. So when you do too, you're in good company. But the invitation is to turn back toward God, toward neighbor, and walk somehow in that love again. But conflict is inevitable. So when we're talking in our second session, because I have this registration thing with the state, and one of the things that we're supposed to do so you can get $60 off your marriage license, is we have to talk about conflict. So because we're talking about a conflict, here's some practical ideas that I want to live better. One definition I like to use for conflict is anything that requires resolution. You see, because sometimes you just have this narrow view of like, oh, it's just a fight. Yeah, I had a fight with my friend. Man, I'm fighting with somebody on Facebook. I'm fighting about this. Well, this is bigger than fighting. This is a hurt that the other person may not know they've inflicted. But if you need a resolution, you're in conflict. This is a hang-up, some place of stuckness. Why do we keep doing this? You're in need of some kind of resolution. This is a disconnect. Maybe there's not a lot of screaming and yelling and fight, but there's some disconnect, and we've got to move past this. 
Sometimes, number two, conflict happens when expectations are unmet or unsaid. This is the pre-work. So the idea is to share clearly, early and often. How many times do our resentments build up, build up, build up? Isn't it a lot easier to mow a yard when the grass is shorter and you didn't let that thing grow so it's unmanageable? If you have expectations that are unmet or unsaid, next time make a practice to try to share them clearly, early, and often. That's the pre-conflict work to avoid conflict. But number three, when conflict inevitably happens, here are some post-conflict questions that help you do the autopsy of where we can walk in step better next time. What do I need to own? What do I need to own What do I need to share? Is there an apology or an ask for forgiveness? Is there something that, you know, I think that what's going on here is actually this thing under the surface. What do I need to share? And then finally, what do I need to let go? At some point, you may have an unrealistic expectation of what this person needs to say in order for you to feel right. Maybe you need to let go some residual things that they did 10 years ago, but we have this moment, things seem to be okay, perhaps, maybe, not always, maybe that's something to let go. This is some autopsy now so that you can pick it up and walk down the path in love again. One of the things we've been teaching our oldest and I need to work on as well is this idea when it comes to owning it, and it's this. The sooner I can own it, the sooner I can say, I am obstinate, I am resolute in my own idea and desire to a point that I'm unwilling to move anything. I I own that. I own that I had a harsh tone. I own that I made you feel that way. The sooner I can own it, then the sooner the other person can forgive it. And then the sooner we together can learn from it. If we really are surrounded by the Holy Spirit, then we can learn and walk together out of this. This is why when conflict happens between Paul and Barnabas, or you and your person, I think the real, actual love triangle looks more like this. (laughs) Do you see this? It's not frozen yogurt triangle. That's a path that's marked with hills and valleys, ups and downs, because your journey with Jesus is not always up and to the right, is it? A couple weeks ago, we said, or maybe last week, it's about progress over perfection. The other thing Miguel shared earlier in our scripture and prayer time is that the goal of orthodoxy, right thinking, is right practice, orthopraxy. We can know the conflict rules. We can know that John Mark should get another chance. But sometimes the stakes are too high. And sometimes I'm unwilling to bend here. And sometimes I know that... I should love and forgive, but it's going to take time to work itself out. Give yourself grace. I'm going to try to give myself grace. 
That's the first snapshot of conflict at the end of Acts chapter 15. And then we jump right into Acts chapter 16. They've gone their separate ways. Barnabas and Mark to the island of Cyprus where Barnabas was from. Paul back through the region where he was from. And so he takes Silas who's a Roman citizen. And then Paul's going to meet someone that he says in Philippians 2 is better than anybody else I've ever had. It's his protege, Timothy. There's irony there too, because what Barnabas was for Paul, Paul will become for Timothy. One time in my old church, we had these cards that people went out, and it said, everybody needs a Barnabas and a Timothy. Who's your Barnabas? Who's your mentor? Who's the person that has taken you and encouraged you and equipped you? And who then do you turn around and connect that chain to the next generation that you're discipling, that you're walking in? I wonder if anybody has a Barnabas and a Timothy. If you have one, praise God. If you have both, you should be up here preaching too, man, because you've got something really wise figured out more than I do. Now, we see here Paul moving up, taking Timothy, who is the physical embodiment of what's been happening in the movement. Jew and Gentile coming together. Timothy is half Greek, half Jewish. But Paul's going to make him all circumcised, which is hilarious in our second snapshot But this one is not a conflict so much as it is an obstacle, some confusion. They're literally going to these churches to tell them, here's what we figured out in this Jerusalem council. You don't have to be circumcised. So is Paul being inconsistent? Do you think Paul is being inconsistent here? I will tell you no. First, Paul was the one that was driving the point home that circumcision is not needed. Circumcision, of course, we talked a lot about this, so I don't want to overload this point, was the the sign of covenant relationship for the Jewish men that literally marked themselves to say, we are the nation building a nation to bless all nations. You don't need to do it to enter into God's family. But the other thing they sorted out in Acts 15 is it's not needed, but let's not have any needless obstacles for the not yet convinced that Jesus is Lord from the Jewish movement. Oh, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah? That's a big hurdle to say. That guy that we crucified? That's a hurdle. That guy you said raised from the dead? One person in the middle of history? That's a big hurdle. Then the guy is telling you this? giving their Jewish background to know the Jewish story from which Jesus comes, and this dude ain't even circumcised? Forget you. Now do you understand? Paul literally says in Galatians 2, and otherwise, 1, 2, 3, he says, dude, if you're circumcising yourself, you don't even know Jesus. Paul doesn't think that you need to be circumcised. Write down 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 20. He says, in order to reach the Jews, I'm going to be like a Jew. In order to reach the Gentiles, I'm going to eat like a Gentile. Now write down 1 Corinthians 10. He does this whole thing about eat whatever you want. 
But if the guy you're eating with is really bent out of shape that you bought that from the pagan temple meat market from the sacrifices, don't be a dummy. Don't eat it in front of him. Don't flaunt your freedom in front of them. You're sitting down with the Southern Baptists. Don't order the 40-ounce beer at Intrinsic. Don't be a dummy. If it offends your brother, remember, you're in the shirt together. If they start to say that you can't be a Christian because you've eaten this or drank that, guess what? Now you're going to have a conflict because it's not about that. But don't put a needless obstacle in the path. We're still wrapped in the Holy Spirit's desire and ability to keep it moving in spite of obstinance and obstacles. Do you know that the fellowship of difference is the mark It is so important in this early Jesus community. It is the mark of divine desire that the Holy Spirit wants this so bad that sure, get Timothy circumcised. Sure, get these people in Judea to observe some bare minimum Mosaic law. If it takes just a little bit of that, you're free to do it because there's a bigger fish to fry. How does that work itself out today? If you need to go into those places and speak with this person and meet with that person that everybody else thinks is outside of the scope of God's work, that neighbor, that enemy, that drunk over there is outside the zone of God's love and forgiveness, you still need to go there because we've got a bigger fish to fry than people's perceptions of your holiness. Don't be a dodo and, and say, well, you know what? God has just really called me to these strip clubs uh, every, every week. That's not what I'm talking about. We know this, but I need to say it because I don't know who's watching on Facebook. But somebody also just clicked off of Facebook because I said strip club in a sermon. We know that the biggest fish to fry is that we would cultivate a community that is hospitable and welcoming of all those people, that we might meet them where they are and journey with them up the triangle to where God wants them to be. A fellowship of difference is what separates the kingdom movement from every other social club of its day or our day. And we're still doing a pretty bad job, as Dr. Martin Luther King observed 50 years ago, with Sunday morning at 11 a.m. or Saturday night at 5 p.m. It's literally the answer to Jesus' prayer that we might be one, wrapped in the t-shirt together, in charity of those things that we have a disagreement about, but working hard enough together to clean our room or cultivate a community because it's the outcome of the Holy Spirit's work, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Jesus first, Jesus is Lord, everything else kind of falls in, in wisdom and freedom after that. Another mantra we say at our church as we wind down is that Jesus has rezoned our neighborhood. So whether they're Gentiles or whatever the 2022 equivalent is, that neighbor, that person, that enemy, that coworker, whatever it is that you say can't do it, can't love them, nope, not sharing a t-shirt with them, nope, parting company with them, could it be that Jesus says, oh, they're just outside of your boundary? Okay, let me see this boundary real quick. 
and then he picks up the line, and then he looks at you kind of like a, huh, huh, <laughs> with a wink, and he marches over to that person, and he loops them just inside your boundary and says, what about now? Now everyone we encounter is a neighbor to be loved. Who is my neighbor? That person. No, they're an enemy. Love your enemies. No, 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 Romans 12. We need to return evil for evil. No, 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 no. At the end of that passage, it'll say, yeah, but even when we're egregiously wronged, he says, vengeance is the Lord's. He'll sort it out. He's got the answer to every question you have. You're you're to love that person. So that's why I say love is non-negotiable. Everyone you encounter is a neighbor to be loved. But trust is a choice. This is a thing that I had to learn the hard way over a decade. Trust is a choice. It's one thing to turn the other cheek when this person's standing right in front of you. It's a whole other thing to never come to a place where you say, oh, it's, it's yeah, I, I actually need to be over here now because I'm taking, I'm running out of cheeks. Love is non-negotiable. Trust is a choice. When we've worked through 12 steps, and I was a sponsor, we had the amends piece. And one of the things that was super helpful in this is to understand that forgiveness is a one-directional, one-way street. Every person can be forgiven. Sometimes it's going to take 70 times 7 and all this that Jesus says. But forgiveness is one-directional. Relationship and reconciliation, that's a two-way street. Love and forgiveness is non-negotiable. Trust and relationship and to stay within this t-shirt and to keep cleaning rooms and to keep doing this, at some point it's better for everybody, even Paul and Barnabas, and God can still make beautiful things out of the dirt and dust and mess of our relationships. That's what I mean. Trust is a choice. Paul couldn't trust Mark. Paul couldn't trust the Jews to accept Timothy and to accept their word. But at some point, you've got to navigate this together, keeping in step with the Spirit and trying to understand what he's asked of us today. So I want to end with this because I want to be a church that lives chapter 12. Maria, don't do the last slide just yet. Let's go back real quick. A pastor texted me on Monday I helped facilitate a uh, pastor's lunch in East Dallas. All different kinds of denominations, all different sizes and shapes. And so one of those pastors texted me because I'd been to his church several times and I'd play music there. And in all the many years, I've kind of popped in. And he said, what is our church known for in the community? He says, you've been around, but you're still kind of on the outside. Like, what's the read on our church? He's asking different people. And so I sent him a text back, and he was like, thanks, man. This is super encouraging because I I just called it like I saw it. Because when you visit a church, you can kind of get a sense of the vibe. And it has so much more than listening to a sermon. That's a piece of it. It's a part of it. Whatever this is, is just encouragement for us to go out and live it the rest of the week when you're talking and texting and in groups and you're praying. And all these people that are out sick tonight are the same ones that are texting each other saying, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And then the rest of you are going, can we drop something off? Can we meet with you? This is what church is. And you can get a sense of that in part from a gathering. And that's what I shared with him. And I just got to thinking about, man, 
what is the American church known for? (laughs) Is it navigating conflict and gray areas and confusion? Is it keeping the main thing the main thing? Is it a fellowship of difference? So before we see the last slide and as we close, what do you think our church is known for? What do your friends and family say? What do you think? What do you want to be known for? Maybe it's this. I hope it looks like this slide. A church that's following Jesus together. A Jesus-centered community. A church that loves neighbor as self. A fellowship of difference. Not just racially, not just ethnically. I mean, we can disagree on who we vote for and how we work through things, but we don't have to disengage. We're a fellowship of difference. A church that meets needs. There are some people in our city. There's another group that heard about us and told me, and I said, no, you didn't. No, you didn't hear about us. We don't even own a building and have a sign out. So no, we heard about you because they heard about the shoes and the clothes and the people that pray with the people we give them to. A church that creates space. This pastor's group that I mentioned, they call me the mystic because every time it's my time to facilitate lunch, I say, all right, let's just take a moment of stillness and let's breathe. And then we do some Lectio Divina or something. Because we create space to listen, to be with God. A church that forgives and keeps walking. A church that declares good news and demonstrates good news. I hope we're cultivating this kind of community. It will be imperfect. It will look like the squiggly lines. But could we try to do it together? But the main thing that I can't get unstuck in my heart. And and yeah, it would be cool if there was more people. But who cares? What if we were known as the most loving church in Garland? And even the people, the Pharisees that would come down from Jerusalem and have a council and say, well, you can't be too loving. We would say, I don't know. I'd kind of bet the whole farm on loving God with everything and loving neighbor as itself. What if we were known as the most loving, sacrificial, giving, other-centered? What if we were known as the most loving church in Garland? What if we lived up to Romans 12? And even when it looks more like Acts 15... And there's conflict in Acts 16 when there's confusion and obstacles. We're still walking and still moving in step with divine desire. May it be, may it be, amen and amen. Go now and embrace the hope to which God has called us. Recognize Christ in friend and stranger. And as Christ has begun, has been gracious to you, so be gracious to those in need. And may God give you a place of rest on rich pasture. May Christ Jesus be the shepherd king who binds your wounds. And may the Holy Spirit give you wisdom and reveal to you the fullness of the one who fills all in all. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ. Amen.